Hello, my friends. Today, Joel is talking to Craig, the co-founder and CTO at Keeper Security, and they discuss how cybersecurity starts with password security, Keeper Security's advanced password security tooling, and how learning to delegate has been Craig's key to success as a leader. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So I'm just curious, like what you're learning right now as a leader. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, what I'm, what I'm learning is really, you know, is this, you know, as, as we've grown, right. So you've gone from like one developer with, you know, just me developing it to a small team and I've kind of delegated. And then now it's teams and teams of, you know, teams of teams and all that and bringing in management. What's, you know, just learning just how to, how to delegate and how to, and how to identify gaps, you know, is, is really where a lot of learning that, 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 that I'm doing, that I have to do, that I have to be better at, um, is to identify the gaps and to empower people to fill in those gaps and to, you know, whether it's hiring or, or building new products or defining specs or talking to customers or chasing down issues, you know, like, so we have, we have, we have, I've brought in people because I identified one of my gaps is this I've got, I've got to have people that can, you know, really interface between let's say QA and the customer, you know? Um, and so people that are, are really aggressive about chasing down problems, right. Or chasing down a customer issue. Right. Because I used to do that a lot. And so for me, for, for me, it's really about um, learning to, to find the gaps, fill the gaps and grow everybody and learning to develop everybody. I mean, that's new, that's new for me. It's not something I've done before, not at this scale. And so um, taking it from a company that's, you know, a few people to now we're over, I think over 250 people, you know, so that's a huge, that's a huge change. And I want to make sure that, that we grow and the culture remains and the process remains and we build process and we build redundancy, you know? So learning how to do that is really what's key for me as a, a CTO. And I've been a CTO, you know, I've been a co-founder of the company, obviously, and the original developer of the product. And I've kind of over the years looked at, okay, what, what is actually a CTO and what, is, what does that mean? Right. And so, so it seems like there's different types you know, and I, I think I fall into the camp of um, very customer focused, you know, dialed into the customer, very concerned about the product, you know, obsessed with the product. And so, yeah, I, I'm always on customer calls and it could be, it could be, you know, some huge enterprise customer, or it could be some older, you know, gen- gentleman's having an issue with the app and has been a customer for 11 years and is frustrated and, like, so for some reason, people find my, my mobile number and, and like, especially a customer, like somehow, well, maybe I gave it to them 10 years ago and, and they just come out of the woodwork and they're like, I need help, you know? And so, you know, so I jump in and help. And, um, I think that's really important, you know, to kind of, you have to be dialed into the product and we have this benefit of, in our company, you know, we have the benefit of being a user of the own, of the product that we created. And, you know, that's a huge thing. Like I, if I can't, I can't even imagine having to, to develop a product that I don't personally use would be really difficult. Like if you only had to, if you only were concerned about, you know, what are the requirements of the customer and what are, you know, and digging in and of course you could do really great work, but it's, it's a, it's a huge, huge thing to be able to use your own product and design it the way you want to use it. And and, uh, you know, if somebody's like, God, this drives me crazy. And you're like, yeah, this drives me crazy too. Like we better, we better fix this, you know? And so to be able to do that. And so I just think, so yeah, I'm, I'm on a ton of customer calls. People always have the ability to, to jump on with me and, uh, and go through something because it's just, you know, just to have that background, it gives me perspective. It, it helps me solve problems. It helps me come up with, you know, what's important. With us, we get so much input because when you have millions of users and you have 
you know, thousands of enterprises that are using it every day. Like there's no shortage of input. <laughs> and there's like, it's all about filtering and understanding like what's, what's the most valuable input and, and what, what affects the most people and um, what's frustrating people. And so you really get a good perspective of that when you just get on the call and just listen or like just collect their feedback. And it, 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 they enjoy it because they're, they're talking to, you know, the co-founder and they like to, um, to feel like their voice is important, which it is. And it's just hearing it is, you know, hearing it directly from someone is a lot different than hearing it through product management or hearing it from, you know, support or like it just bubbles up like issues bubble up and and that's fine and that's okay but if you're just looking at a list of stuff like this is the list of things that people care about or this is the list of things that that are that we have to fix it's a lot different when when you get home and you know your your mom calls you and it's like complaining about some feature or <laughs> like you know it's classic for me to like walk, to walk in the house and then like my wife will come up and show me some bug or like the, or, you know, family members, friends, whatever, just people are always, you know, showing me stuff. So it's like, how often do you have a product that all your friends and family use, you, you know, just so many people. And so, so it's, you feel it and you feel like, and that's why actually, so one of the things I, I always do is, is I, I, you know, some of the team members that are building out like content, like videos and things like that, I actually make them like, Hey, go find the, the least technical person, you know, and just give them the app and just walk them just just watch them do it <laughs> like just watch, watch them go through it see what happens you know because that's the way you learn and that's what I do when I get on the call with people is I just let them show me you know what what like what what were you doing and what how are you expecting it to work and like what was confusing and you just listen to it and then a lot of that kind of gets then filtered into what we're building you know so if we're if we're working on a feature or something was planned for, for next quarter, but it's starting to kind of surface and more people are asking about it, then sometimes things get reprioritized. Anyway, yeah, just like being being co-founder CTO, I think that there's some CTOs that are just, maybe they're, they're writing a lot of code and they're still like just their head straight in the code, you know, or they're just really focused on, on technology and the and the methods of development or the process and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very much more customer focused, you know, security focused. I'm also, instead of, I don't do a ton of, of coding. I don't do a bunch of development of features and things like that. That wouldn't serve, that wouldn't serve people. Well, um, I, I am involved in the security very much so, and more so I would guess, I would say on the, on the DevOps side of things, um, and then on the, on the customer side of things. So that's, that's where I can really contribute, you know, cause the, those days of me being able to, to, you know, pull up the iPhone SDK and start developing features that doesn't, that doesn't serve anybody, you know, that doesn't, that's not going to follow the process. You know, we have to have, as we've grown the company and we've like added so many developers, we've got, you know, something like, like, you know, 50 developers here that are across different, different, um, products you can't do that the cto shouldn't be writing code it's not it's not going to go well you know so as you grow you know in the beginning i you know i wrote the version for ios then i wrote version one for android and then the back end and then all the different components so so it was okay writing version one version two maybe version three you know for the first year or two but then after that you know and you hire people they, they have to add more structure and they're, and they're better developers. You know, they're, they're more focused on the platform. You know, if someone, especially let's say iOS or Android, there's very few people that can jump around between platforms and develop and be really great at different platforms. So a lot of, a lot of developers are focusing just on one platform there. There's, they're just becoming an expert in iOS or Android or, or web or backend or whatever, but um, a person who can do, can do all and, and like jump around, that's, that's pretty rare. And that's, that's great for like a, a startup. But I think as you grow, you know, you can't really scale that way. And so, um, you know, it went from the days of, you know, Craig writing everything to, to, you know, over time, just, you know, one, one person at a time, like replacing different functions, 
um, having a, you know, building out a team that does all backend, building out a team that does iOS and Android and web and browser extensions and, and Active Directory Bridge and Enterprise Console and all these components of the product. And it's just, you know, building redundancy, building all that into the, into the, um, into the team is really important. So <laughs> as, as CTO, I, I don't think, I don't think writing code is the, the, a really good idea. I think it's, it's being in tune and being in touch with what the customer needs are and fulfilling those needs. It's sort of like product management, but it's, it kind of touches all areas of security and architecture. I find that, uh, you know, cause I get to talk to so many different types of CTOs, right. That, uh, as long as you have self-awareness of where, you know, your strengths are and where you want to spend your time, uh, that's fine too. Cause I've seen some people that they don't want to give up coding and what they'll do and, and like, okay, so it's okay not to give up coding. If here's the caveat here, here's the, if, if, if you've hired some sort of like VP of engineering, that's fulfilling the leadership role and yeah. technology. And typically they're off into a, um, like an office of the CTO where they're developing like skunk work type projects or like pie in the sky type things with a small group of like six, 10 people. And maybe they're solving a problem or a challenge internally for the organization or something externally for the industry. That's like a mm. moonshot. And they're over there playing in that bucket. But if you're in the weeds programming as a CTO and you haven't sort of pushed off that uh, human tribal responsibility to someone else who's fulfilling that leadership purpose, then that's where you can get in a real big problem because people are looking for the leadership and if they don't have it, uh, things won't run smoothly. Yeah. If I, if I just disconnected and wrote, I mean, cause that's the funny thing about, about writing code and people don't necessarily understand that, that uh, you have to disconnect you, you can't just write a few things. You can't just, oh yeah, an hour here, an hour there. There's no way you need to, there's like a, the ball has to get rolling. It's probably similar to writing a novel. Like you, the, there's like this huge, this huge like brick wall you're looking at, like to get past that and to actually start being productive takes like hours and days of uninter uninterrupted progress and then and then like you get over that hump and then okay now you're now you're coding and now you're in the groove like you can't do that if you're if you're responsible for the you know the company and to, and responsible for the operations and and hiring and you know making sure that that customers are happy and that that uh, we're releasing on time and all that stuff and yeah even with like a with a VP engineering which we have like we have an amazing VP engineering who manages the process but you know, even even with that role, you have to have someone that's that's got that the, the, their hands into what the customer is really facing, and tie it all together. So someone like me can tie in all the way down to some random user on some random device, you know, in the world, encountering something, dealing with that, and then also dealing with hiring an engineer or how does the system scale or all this kind of stuff, you know. So. You know, so having that full perspective is you got to do it. And a VP engineering might not have that. You know, they're they're also so embedded into you know day to day tasks of engineers that you have to have you have to cross customers. You have to touch customers. You have to talk to them and understand what their needs are. You have to also um, work with engineers to to communicate that because also like it's a rare it's a rare thing for an engineer to talk to a customer. <laughs> like they typically don't want to do it. And they'll avoid it at all costs. Like, so you have to like, so what I, a lot of times what I do is I kind of, I kind of force them into the calls, <laughs> you know? So if, if they don't understand what's, what's the pain point or they need to collect information or whatever, like that's one of the things that I, I do is I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the customer. I'll, I'll get a good idea of what's going on and then I'll, you know, I'll pull in an engineer if I need to. And then I, and I know exactly who to talk to and I know exactly what, you know, where, where to look and things like that. So I can also shortcut and save a lot of time, but, but yeah, I agree. Like, like writing code, there's like, it would just, it would be so unproductive because, because I'd be ignoring, you know, employees and customers and, and not addressing what they really need me for. And, you know, honestly, developers now, if you can focus, you can keep them focused and, 
they can accomplish so much more, be so, so, so much better at developing and, and it's much better to, you know, help guide them on what the customer is looking for and what the, what are the requirements and how best to develop it. But yeah, like things are changing so fast. I mean, it's really crazy. Like, especially iOS and Android, it seems like iOS is an evolution. Android seems like they just change everything every year. You know, all these new, new APIs, new SDKs that come out every single year. And so you always have to be chasing this stuff. You always have to be on top of all the changes that are happening and you have to be able to react to it. You know, if Apple changes a policy or they change some, they deprecate some API or something, you have to be on top of that and you have to really study it. You can't, you can't just develop something and be like, ah, oh, here you go. It's good. And just kind of move on. Um, so I'm happy that I'm happy that, that, that we have more process and I'm happy that they're, you know, everybody's not waiting on Craig to develop some feature or to, to write some code change, because I know that in three minutes, I'm going to get interrupted, you know, to help solve a customer problem or help close, you know, an enterprise deal or, or solve some other issue. But that's kind of, that's, that's how it's evolved. Yeah. For me with the growth of the podcast, um, you know, having been like full-time engineering lead before, uh, I found myself like on podcast days, I couldn't write code because my brain would be so deep into that. It's like uh, the best analogy I can come up with is it's like a computer and it's like Ram and you have to build this massive mental image to begin working. So you have to like, just spend all of this time building this mental image and then start changing things in the min- And so someone can come in and interrupt you and just clear that cache <laughs> you know? and you got to start back over and it's so frustrating. So I would separate my days and be like, all right, these days I'm coding these days I'm doing the show. And then eventually uh, we built up a team enough and coding became less of a requirement. And then for the past, I don't know, two years or so, I haven't been programming uh, at all, but I do manage an engineering team. Yeah. But you feel like sometimes you feel like there you're miss you're missing out on some stuff, right? That's always. And it's, yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot of that, but then you kind of remind yourself, okay, this is not, this is how it evolves. This is how it builds. This is how you get, you know, how you grow and you have to grow the days of the days of just jumping in code and making a change and, and, you know, pushing it through. Those are, those are over. <laughs> those are those, those kids that can't happen. There's process, <laughs> you know, there's a very tight process and that's great. You know, it's, you have to do that. And um, if you don't, follow, if you don't follow the process, though? like you think, ah, oh, no problem. I can do this. Like I'm going to go in there and just do this thing. Yeah. Right. That's, that's going to blow up. Right. Um, so <laughs> you have to let, you have to let that, uh, you have to let people do their work and follow their process and stay focused. And, and yeah, like, that's great that you can do like a, a day of this and a day of that, like, or at least you did for some time, but that's hard. <laughs> that's even a day is hard because it takes, it you know, some days you, may, you, you can spend an entire day just tracking out, tracking down one line of code, like, that's the reality of it. So, so to think that you could actually build something in a day is just kind of um, unrealistic, even if you're doing it 24 hours straight. It is tough, but the rules at level 39 are not the same at levels 27. So you can't, you can't play with 27 rules at 39. As you go through these different stages of life, you have to learn new things and adjust and adapt in order to get to the next stage and bring the most amount of value to people. Yeah. Like the, the the most the most you know, the most productive day I've ever had is the day that we that created the first version of Keeper, and that's there was like all the, the moons and the stars had to align perfectly for that to happen. You know, it was kind of to have those sorts of moments of like total focus. Um, you just you know it's hard to I don't know how developers you know, they have to shut things out, right? You have to really shut, shut the world out in order to do it. And I get that. And so I try to, you know, leave, leave people alone. But like the day, the day that I, so I had planned, uh, I was planning, okay, uh, we're taking this plane trip. It's going to be going to China. It's, I didn't even want to look at the itinerary. I was like, so folks like, okay, it's going to be the longest flight ever. So uh, this is 2008 or something. So, so, you know, so it's like, okay, I got to pack my laptop and, all these extra batteries and all this stuff. I don't know where I'm going. And so I like planned it out. Like, okay, this is going to be the trip where, where I create version one of this, of this app. And so it was already planned out, but 
<laughs> you know, to be able to completely disconnect like that. And this was, so this is 2008, the, the app store hadn't was, or it just came out. Yeah. So the app store just came out on iOS um, or was about to come out and objective C, for example, wasn't even, there wasn't even anything online. It was just like some PDFs that, that Apple had created. So I was able to like print it out <laughs> and take it with me. I don't even know if there's a textbook on it at the time. There, there may have been, but I don't think so. And then, uh, and then, you know, like packed it all with me, got on the plane and just, just was absolutely completely offline, completely focused, you know, for, for an entire 24 hours. But that was like, that was like jumping between airports that was, you know, sitting in the terminals that was just, you know, completely disconnected, no phone, no internet, no nothing. And having all of my stuff with me, my little objective C manual and my, you know, like, like the SDK and like just having just enough to do it. But that like th those moments don't come very often. You know, that was like, that was absolutely the most productive day of my life. And just, just nonstop craziness. In fact, I was so, I was so, I was so like, deeply in it that I, I didn't realize that our itinerary had, had a typo in it. <laughs> so, so I was supposed to go to, to, to Nanjing with a J Nanjing, but the typo, I don't know how it got booked, but it had the typo with Nanning. And so, and it also had some other layovers. Like it was great. I had like five layovers. I was in like, I was in like Vietnam, like South Korea. I was, I was everywhere. And then I eventually, I, I like looked up after like 20 hours of coding and I look out the window. I'm like, where am I? I look out and I'm like, this is not Nanjing. <laughs> yeah, so I look out, I look like, oh my God, I'm in Nanning. Where is that? Like, you know, so I didn't even realize that I got off the plane and I was like, so I was, cause I had been coding for all this time. I just didn't even know what, where I was. And luckily some random person in, in this Nanning uh, <laughs> airport, I don't even know how they do. I don't even know why or how they just grabbed me. They like, you shouldn't be here. They just grabbed me and threw me back on the plane <laughs> and, and sent me to Nanjing. I, I don't even know how it happened, but my brain was so like focused on coding that day. It was just like crazy, crazy amount of, of focus and, came out of it, landed there. And then first, you know, first version was done that kind of, that kind of like progress. Like, I don't think that kind of focus is, has, has happened since <laughs> like, no, there's no way it's just, it's been an evolution from there, but yeah. So like the developers need that kind of absolute focus. And if you're being interrupted a hundred times a day, it's all good and everything. It's awesome. Like building a company, marketing, sales, engineering, everything. It's awesome. But yeah. No coding's getting done. <laughs> Tell me about before that that trip. Like, what made you want to build this? You know, people ask me that a lot about about coming up with ideas. You know, like coming up with an idea for a product or an app. It it doesn't. Just, it's not like you just lay down and relax and think about it. Like it doesn't. It doesn't happen that way. It's 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 all about you know solving a problem. You know, I'm. My background is actually not in computer science. I was I was electrical engineering, Iowa State, and and I I did electrical engineering. You know, designing like firmware and circuits and stuff like that. It was not it was not software. Okay, and so um, I've always been a problem solver. That's just kind of my my thing, and I've always enjoyed you know coming up with solutions for things, and and I've just had a knack for it, but. You know, it's not just like sitting around thinking, you know, idea comes, oh, let's do this keeper thing. It was really more like, like, man, there's no way to do this. Like, this is frustrating. <laughs> like, I don't, there's, there's no way to, to store anything securely on my mobile device. And I'm constantly like having to, you know, mess around with like notes and stuff like that. And so it was originally just from my own personal frustration, right? And just, you know, we just saw the opportunity um, that it didn't exist. And, and, and honestly, didn't even look at much competition. It's not about what, it's not about what, you know, being worried about competitors. Like that's the last thing you should really worry about when you're creating a product or, or solving a problem. It's not about, oh, wow, there's all these people out there that are, you know, trying to solve a similar problem. You know, like that could be overwhelming. I can't even imagine doing it that way. You know, if you, if you want to solve a problem, you just do it. You just start. And if you think you can do, you know, have a great idea that, that can solve the problem and it does, you know, you look and it, and a cursory look looks like 
that doesn't exist, you know, that's a great opportunity to build something. And that's, that's kind of like how it started really just, there was nothing, there was nothing on iOS at the time. Android hadn't come out yet. Um, so it was really just, it was just iOS version one or two, right. And nothing existed on mobile. Just saw that as an opportunity, but it was really just solving a frustration and a pain point. So the first version was really, really simple. It was just a, a it was just a place to securely store information and to get something out into people's hands is the most important thing and putting it out there and letting people play with it and letting people use it it just started gaining traction and then it was like okay yeah the use case here is passwords <laughs> like like this is this is what it's all about like it wasn't at first it was a little more generic and more broad around you know like a secure spot to store confidential data so the original product name was was keeper password and data vault. The password thing was was important, but I but it didn't you know it thought it would be more generic, but um, but no, it was immediately became apparent that that was solving a huge issue, and it just started to take off. But yeah, it's like creating coming up with the idea is really just about solving a problem and watching other people suffer through something. This <laughs> is a really good way, you know. I can you say okay, I can. I can solve that. I can, I can fix that. I can do something about that and being realistic about what problem you're trying to solve too. Like a lot of people are coming up with ideas and they're like, Hey, what do you think about this idea? And it, it involves a million people to do this. And it also involves the other side, a million people to do this. And then once these 2 million people come together, then you have something I'm like, ah, I'm not into that. You know, I'm, I'm more interested I'm more interested in something that solves a problem, makes people's lives easier than coming up with something that requires buy-in from the entire world. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's not something that interests me. Um, so we've always thought about this as like the kind of like the anti-social media. It's like the complete opposite, right? The complete, complete opposite of social media and Facebook and all this stuff would be an absolute secure private place to store, you know, your passwords and your most sensitive information. And so I've always thought about like, making sure this product is, is the absolute most secure place to store anything of value to you confidentially for yourself or for your business. But, but yeah, complete opposite of what, like, you know, ideas around social media or around, you know, sharing with the public, you know, it's the complete opposite, <laughs> the anti, the anti-social media system. Yeah. That's how I think about solving problems. And so there's usually no shortage of ideas from, from, from like things like that. And I don't, I don't, I don't sit around and dream up things that, that are like um, not solving a real issue. I think a lot of people make that mistake of making sure that you're solving a problem before you create a product like, you know, otherwise it's just a science experiment. You know, if you're, if you're creating a problem or if you're creating a solution for something that isn't a problem, then probably no one's going to use it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I've seen. And it's easy to fall into that trap because sometimes it's fun to create something that's just, that's just cool, or you just think it would be useful. But, but especially if you don't use it for yourself, then it's probably not that useful. You can also solve problems that people aren't willing to pay for. Yeah, you can chase you can chase products that are paid products and make them free, or or make a better product that's a paid product. It's based on something that's free because it's validating the problem in the market, right? Yeah, yeah. I've I've you know Darren and I have always been a fan of of creating paid products. You know that you know because you're you're investing this time. We 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 believe in you know having a profitable business too. You know, so when we, when we started this, you know, Darren had seed funded the company with, you know, just 250 K, you know, to, and that's, and that's, you know, it's not, it's not a lot of money. It's not, it's not a little amount, but it's just a small amount, right. It's just, just, just to get things going. But, um, you know, he seed funded that and, and we were immediately profitable once we created the paid version of the product. And, you know, just, just in terms of, just reducing brain damage and all that stuff. You know, like just to, just to build a product that's that, you know, it has a free component, but you know, it's, it's, it's more, more so like a trial of the, of the paid product. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, um, you know, kind of a free to pay conversion flow, but, you know, creating a paid product and users value paid products, users who, 
who pay for a product, they're going to use it. They're going to invest their time into it. They're going to tell their friends and their family about it. And that's what we see. Like over the years, talk to so many customers and it's always, if you look at the, look at the demographic of the customer and, and if they're free or paid, you know, the paid user ads is more valuable in terms of their feedback. They're more engaged in the product. You, we see right away, like I talk to people all the time and they're like, oh yeah, I'm a paid user of Keeper. And I, I tell all my friends about it. I tell my, I got my parents hooked up with it or, or, or some, someone says, oh, I got my kids to use it and all this stuff. Like being invested in the product, you know, only for what is it, th- you know, $35 a year for like the, you know, for the individual plan. But, you know, it's, it's a small amount. It's, it's less than the cost of like a case to protect your iPhone, right? And it's protecting all of your most sensitive data. So having a paid user was always, was always most important to us, not you know, from, a, from a product standpoint, because then you're not dealing with ads, which I hate that kind of stuff. And we never considered like running ads, you know, for a free product. And I think there's, I just, I just hate that model. That would erode trust. Yeah. If, I, yeah. if, my, if my password manager was showing me ads, <laughs> yes. uh, no, I don't. I don't want you sharing any of my data. Yeah, or any. Yeah, out. or any product. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Keeper is growing. You know, but you know, the the fact that we focused on making a really great paid product is is key to that because it. You know, word of mouth was what is how we grew for the first. I don't know, like eight years or six years, whatever it was. Like we, we didn't really heavily start marketing until just a couple of years ago. And so before that, it was all word of mouth. And, and word of mouth comes from having a paid user, you know, who's invested in the product that uses it daily. That's like telling all their friends and family about it. And so we just, we learned early on that, that, that paid users are just better, a better model you know, this, the, the, the sooner you can get, you, you can, you know, um, encourage someone to convert to paid version, the more they're invested into the product and they're, you know, it becomes more, more valuable to them and, uh, it's just better for everybody. So how do I get it? I got my phone right here. Yeah. Yeah. You just install keeper from the app. You just search for keeper in the app store. Just K E E P E R. Yeah. Let me see if this comes up. There it is, man. It looks beautiful. Dude, you have 158,000 five-star ratings. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that, that's because of the paid version, right? That's because when you, have, when you have a paid version and the users are paid, they're invested in it, they're, they're, they give higher reviews, they, give, they tell their friends. You know, it's just like it all kind of feeds itself. If you, have, if you, if you just have a lot of free users on a product – you just going to have people that are just spend three seconds and then maybe blow it off and maybe write a bad review or whatever, you know, it's just, it's just, we just don't focus on that. Um, so there is a free version. So you can, you can, you can use it on one device for free, but it's going to highly encourage you to, to, to go to the paid version. You know, when the, the model, actually the way that this paid, the paid model came out, which is kind of like, not a lot of people know this, like in the very beginning, it was just free for iOS and it was, you know, cause we were building what would be the paid platform. And even on, especially on iOS at the time and Android, you know, the data was, is encrypted locally in the device. Like all of your passwords and the stuff you store in the vault was, was encrypted and stored locally. Okay, fine. Well, what happens when you lose your device or you switch devices, you know, Apple, even after all this time, they still don't do a good job of retaining data when you lose your device. It's like, you're, you're at risk of, of losing data. Like, unless you are really diligent about doing the iCloud backups. And even with that, even with that, I would say it's not a guarantee that you, that you have actually um, protected all your data on your device, you know? So the, the original business model came out of the fact that users were losing data because they were losing their device and they were, and they were just, you know, upgrading their device. And of course, you know, Apple didn't recover data at the time. And so data was lost. And so our first, the first, you know, basically variation of the business model was back up your vault. And so we had encrypted backup. And so that's why the first SKU was actually called keeper backup, but 
Um, so backing up your vault to, to the cloud was, was really the business model at the time. And then it became like, that still is actually a really critical piece of it is that you want your data backed up. You want it, you want it available on your other devices. You want to be able to sync your passwords securely, you know, so having unlimited devices, having unlimited cloud backups, um, having it instantly accessible on all your different devices is, is still the, the, the business and the paid version, but it came out of frustration. So the paid model came out of frustration from users that were losing their data. So I remember you know, like the day we, the day we launched the business model on iOS, um, we were the first to, to do in-app purchases. We were the first to do in-app subscriptions. We were first to do a lot of things on mobile and on desktop, but mobile in the beginning, um, we were always the first to adopt like the latest capabilities of the platform. And so I remember we were, it was the free version. We had like a desktop app and you can sync and you can pay on our website. But the day that the day that Apple um, unleashed in-app payments, we were the first um, in our category to add that. And so we made it really easy for users to upgrade on the mobile device. And, you know, everyone's used to doing it today, but when it first came out, I remember, you know, I was watching the app store rankings, right? <laughs> and and we, we turned on uh, in-app purchase and, you know, users started upgrading. And I was just watching the, the app store. And I was like, I saw, I saw, I, I just loaded it up just to check it out. And I see, you know, number one keeper. And I, you know, went on from there. I'm like, I'm like, what, what is, I, I just was looking at it. Like, what am I looking at? Like, is this my view? Is this just what I'm seeing? You know, no, it was actually like, number one in the world in, in, in revenue, like the first day. And it That's stayed awesome. that way. Yeah. I mean, it stayed that way for years, you know, so we're still in the top, top 10 revenue and productivity, but like for the first few years, it was number one, like globally. And that was, it It was just number one key. I was, it was, it was crazy to watch that, but you know, it's, it's important to, to make it really easy for obviously for people to purchase. Um, it's important. I just purchased it. Did you? Oh yeah, man. While you were talking, you I was like, that. You didn't have to do I that. wanted to see how easy it was. Like I like to use stuff. I, man, I, I host the monarchy to a podcast. I love technology. <laughs> and if I can support someone that I like, yeah. You didn't have to do it, but I appreciate that. No, there's a, so we've got a desktop app so you can load up and transfer all your passwords over. If you're using something right now, you can, we have this import tool so you can, import from anything and that's what oh, can i import from LastPass? there's an automatic LastPass transfer thank you <laughs> so so you just uh install the desktop app and then go to the settings screen and you can import directly the last pass cto is listening you just lost a customer i am on team keeper now <laughs> you know and it's and but the, you know we developed that out of frustration right because a lot of people wanted to transfer and you don't want to export things in plain text um, I just want it to work. I just want yeah. to press the button. So we just it made work. it so you just press the button and it just... <laughs> Thank you, Craig. But but you know what? It's like we have APIs. We have SD, like, you know, we're, we're very open. Like there's APIs, there's there's SDKs. We have an, an open source SDK for um, people to program to us. And, you know, so it's just, it is what it is. But but yeah, so we make it really easy. Hey, before before I like legitimately switch, there's only one feature that like is a must requirement. I want to know if you have it sure. instead of like ignoring you and looking for it. When I'm on iOS yeah. and like I load a website, it will fill it in, right? It fills it in on, yeah, on Safari and on the native app. Yeah. So it, okay. Because for the longest time they didn't work like that. And I would have to go over to the password app no. and copy and paste No, no, it. no, yeah. no, no, no. So in iOS 12, um, Apple released an autofill SDK um, mm -hmm. based on, you know, everything that we were doing and LastPass and whatever. And so they, they created this SDK that allows the customer to choose where your passwords come from. So you can select Keeper as your default password manager. So you just go into the, if you go into your settings screen and search for autofill, then you just pull up Keeper and select, um, select that up. And so once you select Keeper as the default password manager, then it'll, it'll present this every time you click on yeah. passwords. You guys have yellow as one of your primary colors. You're number one. They sound a lot like us, right? <laughs> <laughs> we got the yellow. We're number one. See, I like you guys. And you know what? To be honest with you, I liked it. And I was already going to, like, I was already signing up for it, right? And then when I double clicked to, like, make the purchase, uh -huh. it said call pod. And I was like, oh, man, you guys sponsored the podcast because I don't know you as a like, <laughs> keeper. 
call pods, what came up in our sales meeting. So I was like, I, I ha- the, thank you. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast, man. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Call pod. Well, do you want to know the story of call pod? Please, well, please. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> this is all about, you know, solving problems. Right. And so, uh, and so one of the things you hear a lot with startups is the pivot. Like there's always a pivot, like how you went from, from A to B and, and we started off. So call pod, that was, you know, Darren and I, we had sold our first company to Cena back in 2000, June of 2000, um, at the height of the, uh, you know, all the internet craziness. And so, so we sold our company to Cena. Uh, it was called, it was called Apollo Solutions. Um, it became Cena Channel Online, which became something else, but they're still actually operating that service today. But, uh, but at the, at the close, at the closing of that deal, we were sitting around and, and like jumping around between cell phones, you know, why can't we talk to the people at the same time? We were like struggling to get people on the call. And so long story short, like right then and there, you know, came up with the idea for call pod. Darren, Darren jumped all over that. He filed patents and, and basically, you know, he, he ran with that as, as a, as a business and I joined him. So not so fast forward five years later, he calls me up. He says, Hey, Craig, we got the, we got the patents for call pod you know, let's do it. And so, um, we started call pod and call pod was, was we made hardware, you know? So this was before, remember, this is, this is the times of the, you know, I had the flip phones and all that stuff. So, so there was no smartphones there was you know, nothing happening on mobile. Um, but we, you know, we developed, we developed Bluetooth technology for um, mobile conferencing. So we have a bunch of patents around, <laughs> around Bluetooth mobile conferencing. So you can patch in up to five people, on a real-time call. So I can, I can basically call you and we can all be wearing Bluetooth headsets, five of us and running around the building talking on a phone. So that's like one of the, one of the things that we built. And so we built a device that, that could multiplex, <laughs> you know, multiplex calls and we built Bluetooth headsets and, and we built all this technology and we're flying to China nonstop. That's one of the, that's the reason, right? So that's the reason I was on a plane to China. So we were going to our manufacturing facilities in China you know, over and over. So we were in the hardware business. It's hard to believe, but that's the reason that it's call pod. So call pod out of call pod basically um, came keeper and we developed keeper. And so that was, you know, like I said, the first version around 2008, 2009, when it started getting released. And then um, 2010 and is kind of when we started building the paid model, but um, we pivoted from hardware to software because of keeper. Nice. Nice. This pivots are important, man. It is. It is. And so, so I keep some of these devices around, like they're, they're crazy to look at, but they're actually pretty useful devices. <laughs> so our, our most popular product was a, was a device charger called the charge pod. And so the charge pod was, was sold in Best Buy and Verizon stores and stuff like that. So we, we sold a lot of units, but, but as soon as Keeper started taking off and um, the financial crisis hit and, you know, manufacturing problems and dealing with all that and, and funding all of that. We just decided, you know, that's it. We're done with hardware. We're pivoting to software and, you know, refocused hundred percent on keeper. And that's when it started. So the, the name of the name that appears on the app store is still call pod. I wish that they offered a very simple way to just go and change that app. Apple has some funny rules around, around changing the names that appear in the app stores. I wish I could explain that better. Um, but um, you know, for the purpose of, of that. So it's call pods, the holding company basically, but yeah, anyway, that's the, that's the, that's the reason for the name, but, but uh, keeper is, is hundred percent all we do. Do you know the origin story of this podcast? Oh, do you want me to give you the quick overview? All right. So my dad, uh, he was in the air force. And when I was like really young at age eight, he would, uh, like teach me little programming things because he was like did electronics design and software programming there. And he'd take me to work with him at like nights and weekends when he would do some freelancing. And so I got to learn, you know, technology super young. Uh, my brother and sister had to stay home, but I got to go out with them. <laughs> and uh, uh, fast forward to age 12, I get hit by a car and then I was in a wheelchair for a year, had to go through the whole process of learning how to walk again. I think that's where I get a lot of my resilience from as an entrepreneur uh, but the cool thing was, is I got to find sites like script Lance and stuff where I could just write code. People didn't care that it was a 12 year old and I could make money with my PayPal account. And then, uh, 
fast forward to 18 and my mom's a real estate agent. So after you know school and such, I'm at the real estate office and I'm watching these people have these problems. And I have all this software experience, like at that time, like almost a decade of software experience. Right. So I was like, I'll just build some stuff. So they'll quit complaining because the person I was sitting next to was like complaining. <laughs> and so I built like a little utility and that expanded into a second utility. Fast forward a year, I had like a suite of real estate tools and then other agents heard about it and were like, oh, can we buy it? And then a company, like one of the larger real estate brokerages in the United States heard about it and they came down and they said, hey, we want to buy this from you. And I was like, nope, but I will partner with you as a, you can inject some capital into it and we can grow a business together. And they're like, okay. So I became a business partner, uh, built that up and then um, built a company, had about 30 plus engineers after that. And then uh, just grew. And then I started uh, for about a decade. I just did app uh, development as like an agency with a small team of friends, just from like the relationships I made during, you know, cause you know, when you sell a business, you get all these people are involved in the transactions. You get to meet lawyers and financiers and all. So I met those people selling my first company and then they were like, Hey, you can, we're investing in this other company. Can you rebuild their systems and build a team? And I said, yes. And then that translate. And so that just came 10 years. And then I was having my first kid and I said, you know, do I want to just keep rebuilding, you know, apps that are getting capital injections for the next 20 years? It's like, no. So I saw people out there that were doing really well um, and were growing, you know, doing bigger sales and like a million dollars. You know, they were growing like 50, hundred million dollar companies. I was like, how are they doing this? And uh, relationships was it. So I started like writing and doing a podcast. And then for the first two years, not much, but after that, man, it exploded and, and grew. And then as of today, it's like my full-time thing. We've got a team of about 15 people and uh, we just get to talk to awesome leaders like you. And uh, it's just, I live the dream. And so I'm so grateful that I get to spend my time talking with people like you. That's awesome. I mean, and, and but in, you know, but people that are young and they're like trying to jumpstart from one to the other, like you probably hear that a lot. Like, how did you get to your, you know, where you're at? And they're thinking that it's like, they just got to do one thing, right? They're like, what's that one thing, <laughs> you know? but you can't, you can't explain the, you know, those 15 years of pain you went through. Right. It's, it's hard to, they just don't get it. Right. So especially with something like you've built, it, it wasn't an idea that just came in. It was, it was so many different things. It was so many twists and turns and um, but it was cause you kept, kept pushing and it's all about solving the problem. That's, that's how you sold that first company. Right. Yeah. And you have to just keep going in every time you make a mistake or fail or fall down. You just have to keep going into your uh, every workday with like a sense of optimism. Like it's going to work out this time. It's going to go. And then I made a really big decision in my early twenties when like I hadn't had as much success as I thought I'd have. Right. Cause I'm 13 watching these guys become like hundred millionaires and stuff. And I'm like, why am I not there yet? I'm 13, I'm 14, I'm 15. I'm like so frustrated with myself. And finally, after I sold my first company and, and, when I was in my early twenties and I sort of like went through a lot of the money cause I didn't have good Same. financial sense. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And th but then I made a decision. I said, I'm, I'm going to never give up. I'm going to die doing this. And if I, if I don't succeed and I'm 80 years old and I'm not as successful as I want to be and I die, I'll be okay with myself as long as I get up every day and try. And so I, that became the new bar. Like as I have to get up every day and try really hard. And then if I die and I'm not successful, I'm okay. But if I do anything less than that, if I screw around, if I mess up, like I'm, I'm not going to, to make those mistakes of the things I can control. That's really cool. And I, I hear you about like selling your company in your twenties. That's, that's, that's a recipe for making very bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yes, it is my friend. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I feel the same way. Yeah, for us, it, like we we sold it in two thousand, and it took it took what a you know good twenty years to to like to like build build something back up that was really meaningful. You know, fifteen or, yeah, fifteen to twenty that long, long time. And it's and it's you have to stay focused and not and try not and and like not uh, the ultimate is to try to do too much. You know, the ultimate distraction trying to do too, too many things, trying to take on too much. And so you've stayed focused and that's, that's, what's key. People ask me all the time, like, can you help me with this or that? Or, 
like, I got this pressure. No, (laughs) I can't. (laughs) No, I can't. My brain can only handle so much. I've made that mistake. I'm not going to help you with your pet project or, you know, I'm not going to go fix this. No, I have to stay focused. You know, any spare time, whatever it is, it's on this. It's on this. It's not on doing other things. So I, I had to come up with my three R's for myself, which is reduce, refine, repeat. So I'm constantly looking at myself, like, how can I reduce this? How can I refine this? And then let's do that again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, but it's, it takes so much control to not do that. And you have to really screw up many times to, to realize well, it's a ga- that's the game, man. The game is just reducing the distance between you doing that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's easy to fall in that trap. Um, so, so I'm glad you figured it out I'm still figuring it out, but, but that's, uh, no, I have not figured it out. I figured out that like you just, I figured out that you don't, you're never perfect at it. The game is just like trying not to screw up on that. <laughs> well, it's like when you're running something like every day, every day is like, there's, you know, highs and lows, but you just have to keep, like you said, you have to stay positive and keep pushing forward and not get distracted and not, not going tangents, you know, because that's, that is the wrong way to go. That's why it's like, hobbies and stuff like that. Like there's fun things to do, but it's like anything that's going to be really great. That's going to be amazing. Takes, well, you know, almost a hundred percent of your time, you know, that the, the percentages that are available for other things, they can't be things, at least for me, they can't be things that are just require so much brain power or tons of planning and like huge projects. There's none of that, like in the personal life either. It's just, it's fun. And, you know, hang out with the family, it's sports or whatever, but it's not like building something or like, <laughs> you know, taking on some, taking on something that's going to take away or distract, you know, that's just, it's just, you have to be willing to accept. There's a lot of people that can do that. They can, they can maybe go home after work and just like build a deck or whatever it is that they can do, you know, in their spare time, but that's, that's not me. They but, don't have kids. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like my kids are, they're, they're actually going to college now. They're just, just about one of them's in college and one of them's going to go next year. But, but, um, dude, you look young. I was, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I met my, and that's another thing that's helped me stay focused. I think too, is my, I met my wife like in you know, first year of college. And so we've been, you know, attached ever since got married, like right after school, but it's, I didn't, I also didn't have the distraction of dating, <laughs> which is, you know, for for the, which is, which would be hard to, um, that'd be hard to do, but yeah. So, so she's been just really supportive of me over all these years, just, you know, all the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur and all the chaos, mm. you know, so it's, it's to have someone to support you on that and the kids too, like, you know, they think I'm crazy, of course, but like going through startups and building this all and having kids and now they're going to college. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how time goes by, but it's crazy to think that the best time to start something, to build a product, to do that stuff is definitely when, when you have the least amount of distractions <laughs> and, uh, and you have supportive people so that, that, that are okay with it. So if you screw up or you fail, whatever, they're okay with it. You know, I was lucky to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And we just keep, you know, trying to be useful to people and yeah. move the industry forward. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Dude, this is great. I really enjoyed this. Like your leadership advice and insight and perspective is pretty fantastic. I appreciate it. This is, this was cool for me. I've, I've never done a podcast like this. I think um, I, I have kind of talks like this with individuals sometimes, but it's really nice to, to get asked this stuff. Not, not many people ask. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, man. That's who I am. This show is, <laughs> I built this show around like me as a human. This is my favorite thing to do in the world. So yeah, no, it's like, and it's probably a great opportunity for anybody that wants to work for these companies, right? I mean, it's like one of the things I'm always telling to people, you know, young people in college or I've, I've helped a lot of people go from like this high school, don't know what the hell they want to do to like choosing a path and getting through college. I've, I've got a history of kind of helping people with that. And like one of the things that I've, I've always told them is like, there's something you want to chase after and there's a person you want to work for or like a company or whatever. You just got to just go to the top, you know, like find the people you want to go work with or work for and, and learn about them and and reach out. And you'd be surprised how few people do that, how few people like go 
you know, reach out to the CEO or the CTO and like say hi and like introduce themselves and like whatever, you know, as opposed to like just submitting your resume to HR. It like, it's just not the same effect, you know? So it seems like, you know, your platform would be great for that too. Yeah. People find that like they listen to leaders all the time. I've got to go and tour around, you know, before COVID and people were saying, Oh, I listened to this guest and I went and tracked him down and I ended up moving across the world and like working for him. So I'm curious, like how do people, uh, where do they learn more about your company and your culture and things of that nature? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, uh, we have keeperscurity.com. Um, there's a jobs section there and, uh, there's also LinkedIn, but you know, we do a ton of stuff on LinkedIn, but you know, if anybody's interested on, especially working for the company, I mean, Darren and I are always available. We, you know, people reach out to us on LinkedIn and we always respond, you know, we can pretty quickly identify if, if, you know, where someone would be great, hook them up with the right person to talk to. I think that's awesome. You know, very, like I said, I mean, yeah, recruiters like, like ping us all the time. And I have to like, you know, like that's not, that's not the kind of traffic I want, but like, you know, individuals like engineers or product or sales or marketing, whatever, like very few people like just ping us and say, Hey, like I, you know, I I read about the company and this one, like, it's okay to do that. Like you can do that. You can reach out, you know? (laughs) And I, it's, that's what I would do. And that's what I have done. Like when I was looking for a job or, you know, during college or whatever, I would, I would just, whoever I wanted to work for, I would go reach out. I would just send that email directly to that person. Right. And that's, that's, that's what I think you got to do. So it works. Yeah, totally. I've gotten some of my best interviews that way. Yeah. Like I just like email people and yep. they're like, yeah, okay, let's <laughs> that's <do it." laughs> right. That's right. Cause no one, like no one does it. Everyone's afraid to do it. Why? Like, why are you, why are you afraid to just reach out? Why do you think you have to go, you know, be so formal or go through like, you know, yeah, you can submit your resume online. That's cool. But like, you're going to get a much higher response rate if you just go and send it to the person uh, who leads it. Right. <laughs> so, but people don't realize it. I tell everybody that hopefully people listen. <laughs> yeah. And you know what though, the way I started this podcast, the guy I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, he was giving this information for free yeah. out there of like how to grow a brand and like how to do this and how to meet people. And he goes, the reason why I'm giving it for free. And he owned like at the time, it was like an $800 million marketing agency. <laughs> he goes, the reason I'm doing this for free is because 99.9% of you won't do anything with it yeah. because you guys don't have discipline and you're yeah. lazy. And I said, you know what I said? I said, I have discipline. I'm going to be that 0.01%. And then I did it and I'm here and it worked. Yeah. It just took like four years and several hundred episodes and a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You're right. And I don't understand why, you know, it's so easy to just find a person and reach out and say, Hey, you know, like, I, I love what you do, or I read all about you. And like, you know, here's how I think I could contribute or whatever, you know, but very few people just do that. It's easy and it works. Well, now everyone listening has the information. So they have to yeah. overcome any self-doubt and just take action. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I want to do a call to action to wrap up. How can people download the application? How can they learn more? How can they become a customer? Yeah. So downloading is really easy. You just search for Keeper on the App Store. So you can search for it on uh, Apple, Mac, uh, iOS, Android, um, or just Google it. It's keepersecurity.com. So you can just install it for free on all your devices. So it's it's free for one device. During the first 30 days, we give all the features so you can kind of try everything. And then after 30 days, you can keep using it on one device for free or you can just upgrade to the paid version. So the paid version gives you like unlimited devices, all the features, syncing, um, all the advanced capabilities of the platform. And then there's a family plan. So if you want to bring in your family members, you can have up to five family members on the plan as well. And so you can share passwords among each other. You can also, um, you know, manage and control things a bit. Nice. And then your PR person, Kate, she just messaged us. She said, keeper.io forward slash modern CTO demo of keeper for business and receive a three-year personal plan. But you did leave something out, Craig. If you don't want to wait, you can click the button and upgrade because I upgraded instantly. I haven't even added one password yet. No, that's awesome. And that's, you know, that's, 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 uh, the nice thing about that is now you're definitely going to get, you're going to get your stuff moved over. Right. So you already paid. Yeah, man. That's, that's why, that's why the, that's why paid model is great. But uh, yeah, so we also have the business version. So like we have the consumer version for personal individual, like, like what you just signed up for. And there's the, the family version, which is, um, you know, five users, unlimited devices, all that. And then we have a business version and enterprise version. So 
Um, so we have, you know, sell from a very small individual user all the way up to users with over 200,000 employees. So we have, we have very, very large, some of the largest in the world um, that are using our product. So we have to build for all that. Um, but that sounds fun. <laughs> but it's all, it's all one platform. So, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's easy just to keepersecurity.com. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.